It's a blessing to be in the house of the Lord here this morning. Such a beautiful day. I had a chance to go out and have a screened in. I call it the veranda, but I've never taken the time to look up the definition of it. I just call it that. But it's, been, it's uh, screened in, and I was out there this morning praying and thinking about being here. And just so beautiful. Such a great day, and such a great creation we have. And uh, one of the things that um, is exciting for me is I have a chance to speak in front of a group of men that I've been in a Bible study with for a lot of years. It's been one of the spiritual highlights of my life, I consider it, to be able to be in a Bible study. Dan and I have been together since 99, and I think Jim Stevenson was a part of that too, correct? And then there's Andrew and Rick Worker also a part of that. So it's been a real joy and a blessing to share, um, share the Word, share our concerns about Christ, and just, uh, just be around fellow brothers in the Lord. So I consider it a great blessing to, for that. And um, it's been a, a joy in my career to be able to uh, share the gospel, to share the word, and I, I take it as a great honor to be able to do that. And I'm, I'm glad that, uh, that you, you invited me and Pastor invited me and I had a chance to meet him. And Dan paid for the meal, so what are you going to do, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> so that was a great blessing there. And that's up at um, Panera's, right? It was Panera's. So anyway, let's go to our text for this morning. Our text is in the Psalms. If you have an electrical device, fine. If you have your Bible, that's great. I, uh, I like Bibles because I like to hear the pages flip. I have nothing against the electronic ones. I, I use an electronic computer Bible program to do my uh, sermons and Bible studies and so forth. So I have nothing against them. It's just that I'm, I don't know, I'm still old school on that. I just like the Bible. So we're, uh, it's going to be Psalm 5. So we're back in the Psalm, Psalm 5, and I'm going to use this as the beginning, and then I'm going to close, it's going to be, I'm going to take this text, a part of it, and it'll be my closing prayer. All right, so here it is, uh, we're in Psalm 5, verse 1. It says, give ear to my words, O Lord. You see that L-O-R-D is usually different high caps, that's Yahweh, Y-H-W-H, that's Yahweh. So give ear to my words, O Yahweh, that's his name. Consider my groaning, heed in the sound of my cry for help, my King and my God, for to you I pray. In the morning, O Lord, you will hear my voice, and in the morning I will order my prayer to you and eagerly watch. For you are not a God who takes pleasure in wickedness. No evil dwells with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all who do iniquity. You destroy those who speak falsehood. Yahweh abhors the man of bloodshed and deceit. But as for me, by your abundant loving kindness, I will enter your house. At your holy temple, I will bow in reverence for you. O Yahweh, lead me in your righteousness because of my foes. Make your way straight before me. There is nothing reliable in what they say. Their inward path, their inward part is destruction itself. Their throat is an open grave. They flatter with their tongue. Hold them guilty, O God. By their own devices, let them fall. And the multitude of their transgressions thrust them out, for they are rebellious against you. And I took Psalm, the verse 11 here as part of the title for the sermon. Uh, since there's no bulletin there, I guess that uh, doesn't help. My title was Take Refuge in God. So that's kind of my title. It comes from this verse 11 here. But let all who take refuge in you be glad. Let them ever sing for joy, and may you shelter them 
that those who love your name may exalt in you. For it is you who blesses the righteous man, O Yahweh. You surround him with favor as with a shield. So let's pray. Father, I ask that you would be with me this morning as I give your word to your people for your glory and our edification. I ask for the Holy Spirit to open our minds to the truths of today's message and to you be the glory forever and ever. Amen. So a little bit of an introduction here. I was uh, born and raised in the, in the Shenango Valley. I've left it a few times on vacation and been overseas once, but other than that, I've lived here all my life. Went to college in Clarion, if anybody's from uh, up north. All right. So I went to uh, Clarion University. Well, it wasn't even a university then. I think it was still a state teacher's college. <laughs> so I shouldn't give my age away. I'll just let you think about it with my hair and my goatee. But anyway, in 2019, I was ordained with the Christian Missionary Alliance, as Dan said. It's just right up by Daffins is where I was for a number of years. I gave my life to the Lord when I was still in single digits. But then I came back to the Lord when I was about 38 and recommitted my life to Jesus Christ. And it's been a great journey because Christianity is a journey, right, not a destination. And if it's not exciting for you, it's because you're not in it. Christianity is exciting when you're in it. If you're sitting on the sidelines, then okay, not so exciting. At present, I'm making a career out of retiring. I've retired from teaching 32 years, same school, Reynolds High School, so maybe some of you know that. I worked at Cranax, your store for all seasons. I was <laughs> just a free plug, George, so don't worry about it. So I was there for 11 years, worked with Dan, and then I pastored, or actually it was 14. So give me a couple extra years. So I pastored for 14 years. So one thing about retirement is I understand retirement because I plan for all three of those. But here's the greatest retirement plan. I can unequivocally state that Christianity is the ultimate retirement plan and has the best benefits because I've been through three of them and I'm looking forward to this fourth one, which will be to retire with the Lord. I've been a practicing Christian for about 60 years, practicing Christian for 60 years. I want A-double-O-L, for about 15. But my uniqueness, I think, that I bring to the pulpit is I've been on your side and I've been on the pastor's side. I've been on both sides of this pulpit. I understand your position and I understand, I believe, what it's like for a pastor. My greatest benefit of being a pastor for all of those years, I've done over 600 expository sermons as that pastor because I preach down through books verse by verse. And I understand Rick does the same thing. So I want you to understand how blessed you are. This is unsolicited plug. I want you to understand how blessed you are that he's preaching and taking you through the Word of God. Not everybody does that. And you need to know the Word of God. And you need to offer him your support through your prayers and just give him a pat on the back and say, thank you, Pastor, for preaching the Word. That's unsolicited. Also, it would be another 500 in Wednesday evening Bible studies. So one of the blessings, now why do I mention this? Because I believe that the scriptures are so perfect and because I've read them. I've not only read it, I've studied it, I've preached it, and I've taught it. 
If this Bible isn't the Word of God, there is no Word of God. All right? And you might as well eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. This is the Word of God. I've tested it in just my own life as far and as well as reading it. The Bible speaks to the youth. How can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to your word. The Bible speaks to the observant. With all my heart I have sought you. Do not let me wander from your commandments. The Bible speaks to the mature. Your word I have treasured in my heart that I may not sin against you. The Bible speaks to our hearts. These are all in Psalm 119, pretty long psalm. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. That's the word. I call it the weapon of mass instruction. My elders called it the Holy Writ, the good book. As a pastor, I learned respect for the old timers because I think it's good to look at the old timers. So here's a question, or not a question, here's some quotes. I preach as never sure to preach again as a dying man to dying men. Richard Baxter. Give me 100 preachers who fear nothing but sin and desire nothing but God. Such alone will shake the gates of hell. John Wesley. A minister may fill his pews, his communion role, the mouths of the public, but what that minister is on his knees in secret before God Almighty, that he is and no more. That's John Owen. The last one is from the Prince of Preachers, the wordsmith, I like to think of him, Charles Spurgeon. Nobody had a, I won't say nobody, but he had a great gift for being able to coin a phrase, I think. The preaching of Christ is the whip that flogs the devil. The preaching of Christ is the thunderbolt, the sound of which makes all hell shake. So just think of the power of these men, and they pass that on, and they pass that on. We are here because great men from the time of Paul and Timothy passed it on and passed it on. So in today's message, I want to begin with the bad news, because you never have any, so you want good news or bad news, I always say give me the bad news first. So here's the bad news. We have an, events in our lives that are indelibly stamped on our minds. They're there. Uh, I think of the Kennedy assassination, 63, Martin Luther King, 68, the riots and demonstrations of the 60s when I came of age as a young man in my 20s, Twin Towers, 9-11-2001, and then now we have the coronavirus and also all the violence, protests, and mayhem. We've had impeachment, vandalism, protest. We have newborns left to die after failed abortions, political turmoil around the world, domestic abuse, war posturing by China, and this is just the secular side. It kind of reminds you when you say that, you think of the flood, pre-flood. What did, were the pre-flood days like? Well, if you never heard it before, you heard it here first. Genesis 6, 11 and 12. Now the earth was corrupt in the sight of God and the earth was filled with violence. God looked on the earth and behold it was corrupt for all flesh had corrupted their way upon the earth. It's almost like that, the way things are today. 
And it's easy to get discouraged, but I hopefully I can pull you out of that before it's over. Remember, it's the bad news first, then the good news. So what about on the faith side? What about the faith side? I just went to the Christian Post, which is an online uh, news, newspaper like that gives you information about Christian things. So these are all from there. Pastor dragged, beaten by 150 strong mob while praying for sick. Instagram, Instagram ban brands Christian worship as harmful. Christian group urges believers to take action, stop the release of demonic film depicting Jesus as a lesbian. China, 200 communist officials demolish church, beat Christians. Christian rapper renounces his faith in a post bashing God. And former pastor Joshua Harris says he excommunicated himself after renouncing his faith. And even on the secular side, they're getting into end times. I thought that was kind of our domain, right? End times, predicting when it's going to happen. Well, even the secular people are getting into that. This is from one politician. The world will end in 12 years if climate change is not addressed. That was on January 22nd of last year. That means it's not 12, it's 11. But I want you to know there is a climate change coming. They're not 100% wrong, and there's a climate change that's going to heat up. And here's what Peter says about it in chapter 3. The day of the Lord will come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat, and the earth and its works will be burned up. So there is a global warming coming. This whole thing's going up in heat. Fire. So what's the cause? What's bringing on all this mayhem, what we look at as mayhem, this rejection of God? It's the rejection of God. And I want to give you three examples of what I mean by that. And this doesn't originate with me. I don't have a lot of original thoughts. I'm good at reading and putting it down on paper, you know, cut and paste. I can do that quite well. I'm very efficient at it. This is really from a, a, a sermon from John MacArthur. I'm going to give you three examples of what's happened and what's going on in the world. The first one is God gave man a conscience to judge good from evil. God gave man a conscience to know good from evil. But what happens is today we've given up on the Bible for the most part. And therefore, that's no longer what's being used for the knowledge to know how to judge right from wrong because you have the conscious needs a knowledge base. So that's why it's so important to teach your children the scriptures because that's the knowledge base they use to say, is this right or is this wrong? And what we've seen is that's, that's done. Here's an example. This is from Prison Fellowship, Chuck Colson. Uh, he was with a prison warden. And here's the warden speaking. Ten years ago, I could talk to these kids about right and wrong. Now they don't even know what I'm talking about. He said older prisoners were demanding protection from the newly arrived 19 or 20-year-olds, an ominous reversal. Historically, younger guys needed protection from the older cons. And then he says this, the horrifying truth is that we have bred a generation with unformed consciences. Okay? And here's the guy that works in that system. That's why it's so important to get the scriptures in your head. That's what you use to judge and evaluate your life.
Second one, God instituted the family as a defense against evil. Remember, man shall leave and join his wife. So he instituted the family as against, as a, against it, to protect you against evil. And the biblical family no longer exists pretty much. They're almost getting to be select pockets. It's a combination of people. It can be a combination of sexes, a combination of orient, or, orientations. The biblical family of a male, a female, and children is getting to be harder to find. So we've destroyed the family. Organizations set out to destroy the family. I went to the news and I went to the Black Lives Matter website, which has been in the news for the last, what, month or so. And here's what they say on their, on their website. I, kind of, I was kind of surprised by this, really. We disrupt the Western prescribed nuclear family structure. Mother, father, sister, brother. We foster a queer-affirming network. When we gather, we do so with the intention of freeing ourselves from the tight grip of heteronormative thinking, or rather the belief that all in the world are heterosexual. We are self-reflexive and do the work required to dismantle cisgender privilege, which means male, female, just the two. Right now, we live in a society that can't even figure out how many genders there are because they've abandoned God's word. So that's been attacked. The third one I want to mention to you, God instituted government to protect us, to protect good and uh, to protect us from evil. So we've ruined the conscience, we've ruined the family. Romans 13, 4, this is written around 57 and 59. Paul's writing it. And back then, the government was Rome. The leader was the emperor. And they had some pretty nasty emperors. You had no say-so as a first-century Christian. Here's what Paul's telling these people. For it is a minister of God, the government, to you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid, for it does not bear the sword for nothing. For it is a minister of God, an avenger who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. And look what the state of the government is now, and look where the attacks are coming. I just have a quote here, June 8, 2020. Minneapolis City Council pledges to disband police departments. Sparking debate. So what's happening in our society today is we are witnessing the fruit of those who rebel against God. And what they're trying to deal with it with is human wisdom, human organizations, and human desires. And they're going to use that to try to make things right. Okay? That's the bad news. That's what we're seeing. That's what we're facing. So what do we do about it? You know, I live on a, I live up in transfer. I'm no great politician. I'm no power broker. I'm just kind of a, I'm just Jim. Guy that grew up locally and waiting for the Lord, right? But doing something as I wait. So here's the good news. So here's my thesis. He said I was an English teacher, so I had to throw that out. Every once in a while, I got to use big words. And I got to throw out things like thesis. It just kind of wells up in me and just kind of explodes. So here's my thesis for us this morning. To sustain yourself through all the rebellion, sin, and evil that is taking place, you need to be saved. You need salvation. I'm going to repeat that. 
make sure it's stuck. To sustain yourself through all the rebellion, sin, and evil that is taking place, you need to be saved. You need salvation. Here's the definition. I took it out of a lexicon. The experience of life as a believer in Christ. And what's that experience as a believer in Christ? To be rescued from condemnation on the judgment day because of Christ's sacrifice and one's trust in him. That's salvation. To have the guilt removed and have the punishment, the condemnation removed. Because Romans 8.1 says this, there is now no condemnation, no punishment for those who are in Christ Jesus. So whatever happens in this world, if you know where you're going, then what happens, happens. You do your best to, you know, to deal with it. Now, a lot of times people have a wrong idea of what salvation is, and I want to deal with that because I look at a number of people here. I have no idea what's going on up here. Number one, some people might be saying, Pastor, I have a zeal for the things of God. You don't understand it. I have a zeal for the things of God. I'm good. Some of you may be saying, Pastor, I do righteous things every day. I'm on the right track. I'm good. Well, here's what Paul says, Romans 10. He says, brethren, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for them, that them being the Jews, his fellow brethren, is for their salvation. He's praying for their salvation. For I testify about them that they have a zeal for God. Wow, that's what I just said I have. See, I'm kind of in the Bible, right? They have a zeal for God, but it's not in accordance with knowledge. That's the problem. It's not in accordance with knowledge. You think you may be zealous for God, but it's not in accordance with knowledge. And then he goes, for not knowing about God's righteousness and seeking to establish their, seeking to establish their own, they do not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. So you can have a misunderstanding of what salvation is and how you get it. So check yourself as we go through this. If I said to you, and you're allowed to laugh if you want, if I said to you, I'm going to be in the high jump in the next Olympics. <laughs> Congratulations, good. Well, you would say, well, Jim, Jim, wait a minute. You're 75 years old, you're five foot seven and a half, and you weigh 180 pounds. Well, I might come back and say, well, I feel I can jump high. My friends say I'm a good jumper. I like helping other people who want to jump. I like to help. I like to deal with that. I watch videos on YouTube about jumping. And I can jump higher than a lot of other people. But here's the, here's the rub. My feelings and your opinion are useless for me getting into the Olympics. Because you know what the requirement is? 7.4 feet to get in. That's the requirement to get in. I don't know what it takes to win. That's the requirement to get in. So the question you have to ask you, well, what's the standard for making it into heaven? What's the standard for heaven? Is it a good person? Because I get that all the time. When I was up there at the church and people would come in off the street and I would talk to them, I'd say, why should God, why should Jesus Christ allow you into his heaven? Number one answer, I'm a good person. So listen to what I have to say next. Have you ever told a lie? 
If you have, thou, you're a liar. Have you ever taken anything that wasn't yours? I don't care if a, if a cashier gave you an extra five and you got out in your car and said, wow, this is really great. I got five bucks and took off. How about downloading something from the Internet like music? Wasn't yours. Took something from work, forgot to return it. Ah, what the heck? It's only a pen. If you did that, then you're a thief. So now you're a lying thief. Have you ever used God or Jesus Christ as curse words? Working on a car, wrench slips, smashes your finger, oh, whatever. Uh, we watch uh, the channel on, um, well, I like to watch those channels, oops. I like to watch those channels where they're building things. Restaurant Impossible, maybe you've ever watched that. But anyway, they go in, change that restaurant, and it's always fascinating to me how people react because he hasn't closed their eyes. And how many of them say, oh, my God. That's blaspheming God. You should say, this is wonderful, this is great. So if you're one of those OMG people, I would suggest you change it because that makes you a blasphemer, pretty serious. And there's one more. This is from the lips of Jesus Christ. You have heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery. Have you ever heard that? Most people say, yeah, even if you're not a religious person. And then Jesus says this. The bar just went up. That everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Gulp. So you've just broken four or four of the first of the Ten Commandments, and you're a good person. Really think so? None of us are. The standard is perfection because in the next verse, verse 548, therefore you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Wow. Cost of Christianity just went up. If you have your Bibles, electronic, turn to Romans 3. Romans chapter 3. I don't want to let you sit there and your fingers not do the walking, either your thumbs or your fingers. I don't know how you guys do this. <laughs> Texting and I can't do it. I'm a one-finger kind of texter, so you won't catch me texting and driving because I can't do it. I'm, uh... All right, Romans 3.10. Here is you if you're not saved. Here is you if you're not saved, if you don't know the Lord. Here you are. Romans 3.10. As it is written, there is none righteous, not even one. There is none who, who understands. There is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is none who does good. There is not even one. Their throat is an open grave. With their tongues they keep deceiving. The poison of asps, snakes, is under their lips. Whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their paths. And the path of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. And you know what? It's going to get worse. Turn to Ephesians chapter 3. Or excuse me, Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. He's talking to a congregation in the town of Ephesus. Small church located in a very cosmopolitan city. And here's this church, Ephesus 2. And he's talking to people that are saved, and he's going to tell them, here's what you were like. And it's not pretty. 
He says to them, you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world. You walked according to the prince of the power of the air, which is Satan, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we too all formerly lived in the lust of the flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. If you're not saved, then you are by nature children of wrath. And then he goes down to 12. We'll skip to 12, verse 12. Remember that you were at that time separate from Christ. You were excluded from Israel. You were strangers to the promises, having no hope, and you were without God. And some of you may be saying, wow, I'm glad that's not me. I feel sorry as I look around. I feel sorry for some of these people. Well, I'm not done. This, you can just listen to this one. Matthew 7, 21 is where I'm from. So if you think you're one of those who have escaped, just think. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Wow. Well, who does? Well, he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter, that person. Many will say to me in that day, well, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? These are all really powerful supernatural feats. What's he say to them? Verse 23, then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. I can't think of anything worse than dying and figuring you're going to heaven and you're not. You were convinced. I mean, that would be worse than firing a bullet to kill somebody and you can't take the bullet back. Because it's done. It's too late. That's the way it is here. So my question I ask you is this. Do you know Jesus Christ as your Savior? I can't assume that because you're here on a Sunday, it's really great, but I don't have any idea if you're a Christian. If I want to go by statistics and probability, I would say no. But I don't know everybody here, so I'm not making any judgments if you say, yes, pastor, I know Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior, then my next question is this, could you prove it? If you had to go to a court of law, could you prove that you are born from above, you were born again, could you prove it? Would, what would characterize your life? Is this it? Do you follow the desires of your sinful nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility? quarreling, jealousy, jealousy, outburst of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these? Is that, is that what would characterize your life? And then here's what Paul says. Anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. N-O-T, will not inherit the kingdom of God. Or would this describe you? You exhibit love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Would that be you? So just think, where would I be? Could I find enough evidence to convince a court, a jury, that I'm a Christian? Another question for you. Well, I had a helmet here. I was going to bring one in as a prop, but I'm not real big on props, so I didn't. But Anyway, if I had a helmet here, because I figure I can describe it well enough, if I had a helmet here, 
And I said, I can put this helmet on somebody's head, and everything they've thought, everything that's gone through their head will be right, whoops, up that screen and that screen and that screen. Everything in the last, just the last week, from last Sunday till today, everything you've thought of and said and done will be right up there on the screen for everybody in here to see. And I would say, anybody want to take this challenge and come up here and I'll put this helmet on you. I wouldn't take the challenge. And I don't know if anybody would take the challenge, right? We all have enough dark secrets. So here's the thing. In industry, there's such a thing as quality control, right? In other words, if they make 1,000 widgets, they might look at 10 or more to see how they're going. How are, they, are, we, are we putting out a good product? But how about you as a Christian? Is there any con quality control factor in your life? Do you ever sit here on Sunday and think about last week and evaluate how you've done? Does that ever enter your head to think about it? Or is it, oh, let's get going here. 25 after 11, Pastor, are you going to make it? I'll tell you right now, I'm not, so relax. <laughs> so, so it's a quality control question. And here's the question. This is 2 Corinthians 13, 5. Test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. You with me? Test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourselves. I would think most Christians don't do this. And I would be guilty myself. I'm not pointing a finger at anybody that the other ones don't come back, right? Or do you not recognize this about yourself, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail the test? <clears throat> so that's the question you have to ask yourself. That's a, I call them quality control questions. Now we're going to look at four conversations in Scripture here, so I can let you understand what does it mean to be saved, so you understand without a shadow of a doubt. Because if I don't explain it properly, guess whose blood is on my hands? Yours. So as a watchman on the wall, I want to tell you the truth, and I want to tell you so you understand it. Because of the way the world's turning right now, I don't know what's going to happen. So here's the first one. This is a conversation between Jesus and the Pharisee, Nicodemus. Many of you should be familiar with this. It's in John chapter 3. I'll just be kind of going down through it. Nicodemus comes to Jesus, flatters him about being a great pastor. Jesus gets right to the point. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So it could be born again. I like born above. That's usually in the footnotes, but we mostly know it as born again. You cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus is shocked. He said, well, I can't go back into my mother's womb and be born again. So he's shocked. He doesn't understand what Jesus means. And Jesus comes back and he said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water, spiritual cleansing through the Holy Spirit, and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. And he said, do not be amazed that I told you, you must be born again. And then he goes a little further down, 314. As Moses was lifted up the, lifted up the servant, serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Why? That whoever believes will in him have eternal life. For whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. So, you want to make it into the kingdom? You must believe in Christ through the power of the Spirit. It's not an intellectual thing, guys. You read about him 
oh yeah, I believe there was a Jesus Christ. I love Christmas. Easter. I always go to church at Christmas and Easter. Pastor, I'm a CEO. Right? Christmas and Easter only. Now there's another conversation. This is Jesus and Martha. This is the Lazarus, part of the Lazarus story. Lazarus, her brother, has died. This is John 11. She's glad that he's finally made it. Jesus took his time. <clears throat> Jesus says to her, your brother will rise again. Martha. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection of the last day. I know that that's going to happen. And then Jesus makes this statement. I am the resurrection and the life. And then here's that key word again. He who believes in me will live, even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. And then Jesus asked the four, this phrase, four words. This is the most important part of this. Do you believe this? Do you believe it? If you sit there right now, do you believe what I just said? She said to him, yes, Lord. I have believed three things she believes. One, that you are the Christ. I believe you're the Messiah. I believe you're even the Son of God. I believe you're divine. And I believe you're he who comes into the world because they've been praying for that. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So you must believe in Christ through the power of the Spirit. You must believe that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. That has to be part of your belief system. <clears throat> Third conversation, Jesus and the disciples. As a result of this, many of his disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore because they didn't like what he said. He said it's, it's tough. They left him. So Jesus says to the 12, you know, the core group, you do not want to go away also, do you? Simon Peter answered him, and he said this, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. You're not going to find the way to salvation through any other person or book. Jesus is it. The Scriptures are it. And then what's Peter say? We have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. So you must believe that only Jesus has the words of eternal life. Number four, fourth conversation. From that time, Jesus began to preach, talking to the masses, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So you must change the direction of your life. And I'm going to spend some time in this word repent here because I've heard people say to me when I would ask them, what's repent mean? It means to ask for forgiveness. That's not what repent means. Repent means you change your life. Repent means I was going that way toward destruction and now I'm going toward God. And I want to try to help you understand it. It means you have to leave the past and go into the future with Christ. And this may not be easy. And here's why. Go to Matthew 10, Matthew 10, verse 34, those of you that like to follow. And you don't have to. I've got it written here for me. Matthew 10, 34. This is Jesus. Do not think that I came to bring peace in the earth. I did not come to bring peace but a sword. For I came to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemies will be the members of his household. If you choose to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you may have to go against your family and all your friends and your buddies down at the local saloon. 
You may have to give up some stuff. You may have to give up the way you live, the things you read, the things that have gone through your mind, the things you watch on YouTube and on the computer screen. I'm glad that I'm, I'm not a young, young man anymore because I think it would be tough. I feel bad for young people. Taught them for 32 years, mostly juniors and seniors. And I feel bad for them today. So it's an onslaught, onslaught of sin right there at their fingertips. It's just horrendous. And then Jesus goes on and he said, He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. He who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. And he who has found his life will lose it. And he who has lost his life for my sake will find it. So here's some possible reactions to this. Pastor, you're making this sound pretty tough. Well, you may be thinking this. I thought coming to Christ meant that I get in on the good stuff. I get in on all the good stuff. Got a happy life, have a happy wife. My kids will all be straight and tall. I'll have money to galore. I'll have everything I need. That's what I mean. That's what I want. Well, some of you may be thinking that. And some people may say, well, I thought I just had to raise my hand, come to the altar, repeat a prayer. I thought all I had to do was give God a chance. If I like him, I'll take him, and if I don't, I'll get rid of him. Some people might think, well, I thought there were almost no demands of me to accept Christ as Savior. Well, that's not true. And if you're hearing that, that person's not telling you the truth. Because it's not like that. John 6.60. Therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, this is a difficult statement. Who can listen to it? Maybe what some of you are thinking. Man, Pastor, this is too difficult. I'm done. I'm checking out. I didn't sign up for this. Therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, this is a difficult statement. Who can listen to it? And they withdrew, and they weren't with them anymore. They left, just like you can leave here. Just remember, I'm only here once. So don't bail on the church because of me. All right, I may not be back. So, uh, but here's what happens. Simon Peter says, "Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life." I want you to hear the truth. I have an obligation to tell you the truth. And then this is the toughest one, I think. This is Luke 9:23. And he was saying to them all, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up your cross, and follow Jesus. And he had nowhere to lay his head. That's what it's going to take. You see the world is spinning around today. They don't love the Lord. So if you take up Jesus and follow him, you could be in a world of hurt. So just think about it. I'm not trying to talk you into being a Christian. I have no control over that. That's all between you and the Holy Spirit. That's all between you and him. But here's how it works. You need to count the cost, but here's how it works. Paul sums up the salvation process quite well. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. And for whoever will call in the name of the Lord will be saved. And you can do this right at your seat. And guess what? I'm going to give you a chance. 
but I know what's going through your mind. Is he going to ask me to come forward? No. Is he going to ask me to raise my hand? No. Is he going to ask me to repeat a prayer? No. You don't have to do anything. The only thing that you might want to think about is there any sorrow in my heart over my sin? And I'm talking about people that are saved. I sometimes think of where I was 30, 40, 50 years ago, and this makes me sorrowful for what I did when I was in my 20s. Because Paul says this to the Corinthian church, for the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces a repentance without regret leading to salvation. So if you feel something in there that's quickening you, there's a good chance that's the Spirit working in your life. Remember the tax collector, God be merciful to me, a sinner? You have to recognize your need for salvation. Zacchaeus, he said, I'll give everything back, the things I've stolen, that's repentance. I'm going to give everything back, I'm going to make it right. So there's no magic formula. So, Pastor, what is it you're going to do to us? Okay, here it is. I'm going to read from Psalm 51. All you have to do is listen. Just listen. Because this is a psalm from David who had a man killed, committed fornication, and committed adultery, and led to the, a lot of the destruction of his whole family. And he's pleading with God with his godly sorrow. So all I'm going to ask you to do is I'm going to read it, I'm going to read it slowly, deliberately, and just listen to it. Listen to what David says. You don't have to bow your head. You might want to close your eyes just to kind of, you know, you, so you just focus on what I'm saying and you're not looking up at a blank screen. It is pretty, but you're looking up there. So you can, however you want to do it. I'm just going to read it. As I said, I'm going to read it slowly and deliberately. This is David coming to God and pleading. Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love. Because of your great compassion, blot out the stain of my sins. Wash me clean from my guilt and purify me from my sin. For I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. Against you and you alone have I sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight. You will be proved right when what you say and your judgment against me is just. Purify me from my sins, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence. I know you will not reject a broken and a repentant heart, O God. That's the prayer. I'm done all you have to do. What happens now and ever? It was between you and God. Here's the Lord's promise, though. Though your sins are like scarlet, I will make them as white as snow. And though they are red like crimson, I will make them as white as wool. I, even I, am the one who wipes out your transgressions for my own sake. And I will not remember your sins. You know, there was a time when not everybody in America had electricity. Back in the 20s, they come up with a program that was called a Rural Electrification Administration. What it did is it took electricity to a lot of the rural areas, south and west and anywhere. And those were places where people were living with kerosene lamps, 
going to the bathroom in an outhouse, washing your clothes. All of a sudden, electricity's coming through the valley. And all you have to do is free. All you have to do is sign up. Just sign up. You can go from being wood burner or a fireplace, you can have electric heat. You can have running water. You can have an indoor toilet. The line was going right by their house. How many of you think didn't do it? They wouldn't take it. They wouldn't take the electricity. And it was going right by their house. How many people hear the Word of God and all it has to offer to change your life and it's going to go right by? It's going to go right by here and it's going to go right over here. And that's kind of the situation that you're looking at. So my prayer, of course, is the Lord moves in your life. So how do we overcome? Getting back to my original thesis, to sustain yourself through all the rebellion, sin, and evil that is taking place, you need to be saved. You need to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior because that will keep you focused and keep you at peace. So I have five final exhortations, things to encourage you, I think. So here they are, five exhortations. Number one, rest in the peace of Christ because you know him as Lord and Savior. Rest in that peace. Number two, and this is right out of Scripture, 1 Corinthians 16. Be on the alert. Stand firm in the faith. And I like this statement. I don't think I'm being a misogynist here. Act like men. We as Christians have to learn that the time is coming when we've got to suck it up. You understand what I'm saying? We have to act like men or act like women. I have to say that. But the scriptures say, act like men, be strong. We can't be a bunch of wimps. We have to be strong, but we're strong in the Lord. We're strong in the scriptures. We're strong in our understanding. We're strong in our relationships with fellow Christians. Number three, let all that you do be done in love. Whether it's your enemies or whether it's your friends, let all that you do be done in love. John 16, these things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation. But then he says this, but take courage. I have what? Overcome the world. All of this stuff that's swirling around, I have overcome it. He's in control of it. He knows exactly what's going on. He's not confused. And here's the last one. This is from a secular, no, this is from a Christian website. This is from Olive Tree Ministries, Jan Markell. And I really like this. Things aren't falling apart. They are falling into place. Things aren't falling apart, so don't get alarmed. Things are falling into place because Christ is going to return. Let's pray. Father, let all who take refuge in you be glad. Let all who take refuge in you ever sing for joy. And may your shelter, and may you shelter all who take refuge in you, that those who love your name may triumph in you. For it is you who blesses the righteous man, O Yahweh. You surround them with favor as with a shield. Amen. Thank you.